Hello, and welcome to Sounds Heal Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Brown, and thank you so much for joining me as we continue to explore the fields of sound healing, sound therapy, and generally the use of sound for health and wellness. This episode continues our series on instrument makers, and today we have with us Jim Dobble, who I was lucky to meet at the Gong Summit back in 2019, where some of his uh, unique instruments were displayed. So for over 30 years, Jim has created new percussion and mallet instruments with new sounds. He creates unique custom experimental and one-of-a-kind musical instruments using recycled or repurposed materials such as glass, stone, wood, and metal. His customers have been professionals, schools, science and children museums, playgrounds, music therapy centers, sound healing practitioners, and novices. His musical instruments are well built, built for years of playing and are made in many tunings, including custom and experimental tunings. His shop is off-grid and solar powered, and really many of his instruments are taken from scraps from the junkyard and turned into functional works of art. In this podcast, if you're watching on YouTube, you'll see Jim showing the instruments and images of instruments, and I have also inserted audio of the instruments as well, edited them in so you can hear what they sound like. So please enjoy this podcast, getting to know more about Jim and his unique handcrafted musical instruments. And thank you so much to the Ohm Shop and Spa for their sponsorship of this podcast. The Ohm Shop is located in Sarasota, Florida, as well as online at theohmshop.com. And they have a wide variety of vibrational tools, sound healing instruments, and the country's largest showroom of crystal vibrational tools. So please check out the Ohm Shop and Spa. Whether you're in Sarasota, Florida, stop in the showroom, go into the luxury spa, or online, you are able to get assistance as well if you're trying to up-level your, your tools for your sound healing practice. Thank you so much for their sponsorship. And please enjoy this podcast with Jim Dobble. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jim, for joining me for this uh, conversation about your work and your instruments and who you are. And before we actually get into the instruments that you design, I'd like to go back to early Jim and the things that inspired you to actually first make instruments. You know, what was that like? What was influential to you to get into this work? Yeah, well, it does go back a ways because um, back when I was probably, I think it was before I was walking, I used to crawl around my kitchen floor, get into the cabinets, pull out all the pots and pans and find spoons and bash away. And, and my mother was actually fairly tolerant of that for some reason, maybe because I was occupied. But, <laughs> um, but that's where my music career started. <laughs> And so all, you know, the instruments I've been playing most of my life are things I could bang on. Um, <laughs> and 
Um, so yeah, so there was that. And then when I was a little bit older, I, um, I was sent off to piano lessons with a not very, um, not very creative teacher and that didn't really take so well. So a couple of years after that, I just sort of stopped music. But then uh, when I got into my twenties, I started um, playing a little bit of, a um, little bit of hand percussion, African style drums, congas, um, and was into that. And then I never really, I did make one mountain dulcimer out of a kit, sort of in those days, but you know nothing really into the instrument making. But um, and then uh, I went to um, if you're familiar with Paul Winter from the Paul Winter Consort, I he was giving a workshop in Maine for the benefit of this woman Helen Nearing, and it was a week long improvisation workshop on the coast of Maine, beautiful location. Um, and I decided to go to that without really, you know, I wasn't super musical at the time, but I enjoyed drumming and whatever. I enjoyed playing with other people. So I went to that and he had borrowed this big um, xylophone based off a Ugandan design, the Amadinda. Uh, it was the keys were out of two by sixes. It was a very rough instrument. Uh, you would sit on the floor and play it. And traditionally, the Ugandan instrument is played with three people, uh, two people across from each other playing a syncopated, syncopated rhythms. And the third person just playing the top two keys. Um, and whenever one of the other musicians would play a corresponding key an octave or two below his two keys, then he would hit those keys. And that instrument, what makes that playing that instrument um, interesting is when the, that top rhythm gets really complicated. And, and, uh, and me and this other guy that were at the workshop, we played that a bunch while I was there. And we really liked it. So when we, we decided to, after the workshop to come back to my place and build one. And so we, I built a similar one out of two by sixes that would you play on the sitting on the floor. And then I really like to move around when I play. So I decided to play with the design and make some version that I could stand up. And I came up with a design that was basically the keys were hung up like a hammock on string and could play it that way. And this was a big instrument. It's about you know five to six feet long. The longest key is about three feet long. Um, so you can get you know multiple people playing it. You don't have to play Ugandan style. It's tuned pentatonically. So you can you don't really have to worry about what notes you hit. Anything you play as long as you're rhythmically in tune sounds good. Uh, so I made a bunch of those and playing with the design. And I was going to a uh, dance camp um, probably a couple of years after I started playing with those. And uh, I've never, never been there to this particular dance camp before, but they had a place where you could sell things. And I said, well, why don't I make a few and see if I can sell something? I mean, I was kind of looking, 
I was doing demolition building salvage at the time and I was looking to do something sort of out of my shop at home. So this was kind of a test run to see if I could make a go at, you know, building instruments. And so I brought four of them to this dance camp. I sold all four and I said, okay, I can do this. And that sort of started me off on the instrument making. Um, and then the, yeah. Um, and it was, you know, many years of doing that. I, I started, started with the, the big wooden xylophone and then I got into playing with glass, with stone, different metals, um, different designs. Um, yeah, I wanted to, I was making stuff that other people weren't because that's what I was interested in finding new sounds, new, new ways to make a, make a bit of noise. Um, right. Right. And yeah, I mean, I know that you use a lot of recyclable, reusable materials. Were there any wow moments? I mean, a part of the design is the experiment, which means it doesn't always work out. Yeah. What were some of those moments that were great learning lessons early on? Um, so the, the glass was probably the second material I started playing with. And that I I'd read other people using glass, so that wasn't such a big deal. But the when I started with a stone, it was with um, old roofing slate, and I had a pile of it. I'm not sure why. <laughs> I had a pile of it sitting by my barn, and one day I just looked, sort of looked at the pile, and I kind of go, "Huh, wonder what that sounds like." Uh, and so I cut some up, and it was like, "Whoa!" You know, I was really surprised. I was like, "That was definitely a wow moment." And I was lucky because my pile of slate happened to be uh, Monson slate, which comes from northern Maine, um, which is a really high quality slate. And sound quality wise, it's the best I've tried so far. I've tried all kinds of slates now, um, mostly from old, old roof, roofing stuff. And uh, so that was definitely a wow moment. And probably the... And then I, you know, got into different stones. I started doing granite um, scraps from countertops. And that was also another wow moment because that has a, you know, it'd be much thicker and um, really nice tone. I mean, I, that's an instrument I could play for all day long and not get tired of playing it just because it's just sweet sound. Um, then probably the other wow moment is I, I also had some, I kind of collect junk a little bit. It's kind of a bad habit of mine. And I had some old water tanks um, for water pressure systems kicking around. And I sort of looked at one of those one day and I said, kind of, ha, huh. because I started, I'd already started making wooden tongue drums. And I looked at these and I was like, well, why not? And I, so I cut some tongues into them and those were fantastic. Um, and that's, yeah, and that's an instrument that I sort of kept developing and, um, and right now in my, my business selling instruments, those are probably, probably more than half of what I sell are just those particular instruments of metal tongue drums. And they're the big, they're big ones. They're, they're um, 
my instrument making business evolved from making um, instruments for individuals. I'd go to craft fairs and sell them, which I don't recommend. Unless <laughs> you like, like listening to people beat on your breakable instruments all day long. Um, and um, so that's how I started out. But then I got into the playground. I started making stuff for playgrounds and children's museums. Um, and so I, you know, making bigger, heavier duty, indestructible stuff. And, and that's when my business really took off um, because there was, it was, the time was just about right. There was only one other guy making quality musical stuff for playgrounds and he was in New Mexico. Um, and, and it was just at the time when people were wanting to get really creative with what they had out there on the playgrounds. Um, the old jungle gyms just weren't doing it anymore for people. So um, I hit it right. And then when um, the recession in the eighties came, um, Obama put a lot of grant money out there for preschools. And if you're preschool and all of a sudden you get this wad of money, um, you know, the easiest place to put it is in your playground. And that's while everybody else was like hurting for work, I was booming. I was like crazy. Um, yeah, so that's basically, you know, right. business. And then I got into the, um, you know, that slowly developed into the sound healing, sound therapy work. Yeah, what was your first, uh experience with the therapeutic use of of sound how did you get involved in that i by totally by accident um like everything else <laughs> um i was playing one of my i can't remember who was playing who but i was playing a glass instrument and a slate instrument with a friend and the slate instruments i didn't always tune a440 i let them sort of go where they wanted to um, and so it was tuned slightly off from what my glass instrument was. And we were playing together and we were just improvising. We weren't trying to do anything. And, and every now and then I would hear a combination of the two notes that made this third sound that I felt affect me. It was like, there was something, there was this extra wah, 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 wah thing going on. And it was like, that's doing something to my brain. And um, and this was before the internet, long before the internet. And so I wanted to figure it out. So I went to the libraries and started taking books out and trying to get at it. Ended up there was, what I was hearing was a beat frequency. Um, and it was probably a low theta frequency. Um, and yeah, that grabbed my interest. So I just started doing, you know, there wasn't a lot out there at the time, research-wise, but I grabbed what I could. Um, and, and so, well, this is cool. So I started making instruments, some of my instruments specifically for sound work, um, mostly using the glass at that time. Um, I do, I made some instruments with built-in beat frequencies. Um, and then I think 
you know, probably after a couple of years experimenting, um, I heard about a sound healers colloquium in New Hampshire. Um, it was just a gathering of sound healers from all over the world. I mean, they were, it was amazing. Um, it went on for like, I think, lab, every year for five or six years. Um, and, you know, all the pioneers in the, the sound healing field were there pretty much. Um, so it was astounding. I mean, it was um, being able to glean from all these people that had been working on it for years was was pretty amazing opportunity. Um, and yeah, so that led me to get even further into to that field. And, and then it, it, you know, it took me a while before I got into the gongs, um, before I started practicing, I was making instruments for them. And then, then eventually um, that led, it took me a while, but I started to actually being a practitioner as well. Um, yeah, what do you think changed in your approach besides kind of searching for those beats and um, you know, if you were making a gong for a playground versus a gong for the therapeutic use, what was kind of your philosophy going into making that instrument? Yeah, well, but like the gongs, at first I was only making them for um, children's museums and playgrounds, the aluminum gongs. I didn't really take them seriously as an <laughs> instrument when I started making them. Um, I mean, I think they sounded good and they, you know, but you know, this isn't a real gong, you know, <laughs> but it is indestructible and, you know, so it's a good one for kids to bash. And, um, you know, it wasn't really till uh, the, um, the sound healing conference that Mitch, you know, did a few years ago that, um, you know, getting that feedback from people like, you know, that, Wow, they're cool gongs, and they, you know, and I, that's, and I was already um, playing gongs at that point, but I hadn't included those in my own, and I, I was part of that was, you know, all my gongs were bronze at that time, and I had this, I don't know why, but I had this thing about mixing metals that you know was maybe bad juju, you know, um, and so, you know, I sort of never did it, and then. You know, after getting the good feedback at the at the conference, and um, I decide, well, I should, you know, try using these, and it, it works. It's mellow. You know, they 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 do this. This I have um, these Burmese gong, um, which is amazing. Um, the gongs I make are also nipple gongs, and so. You can't see it, but the one above that is, um, I've tuned that to a, to a beat frequency for this one. And together they are pretty, pretty cool. I mean, the, the, the Burmese gong can overwhelm the aluminum gong pretty easily, but if I'm playing them soft, they actually, they do some really nice magic together. Yeah, let's take a look at uh, some of your creations. I know you have uh, some photos to share. So see where you want to start with those and kind of talk about 
each of them and, and how they, they came about. Okay. Um, sure. Well, we'll be talking about the gongs. So why don't we start with those? Yeah. Um, so there's basically what's behind me right now. <laughs> um, so the, um, the two aluminum gongs at the top are tuned a fifth apart. Um, so that sets up a kind of a nice thing. I make those up to um, the biggest ones I make are about 36 inches, which is what that one that's over the Burmese gong is. That's about as close to 36 inches. And that's like a, a low B to correspond with that Burmese one. Um, and I've made them thanks to um, some people that have like wanted various sizes gongs I've made all the way from that size to little, you know, little tiny ones, you know, that are like 10 inches, um, which are a little hard to tune because they're so particular. But, um, but yeah, but the, the nice thing about the aluminum gongs is, is I can tune them pretty precisely. Um, uh, Mike Tamburo um, has ordered quite a number of them from me <laughs> and he's the one that really got me to improve my quality and my tuning because he was looking for a specific frequencies um, right you know so unlike a unlike a wind gong or something you can play them more melodically right yeah these are these are more tonal so they have more of a defined pitch than a wind or a chow um, and yeah, so they're, it's nice that way. And then I've, I've played with, you know, when I cut, so I get a big sheet of aluminum um, and I cut the circles out of it. And I had all this leftover aluminum that I wasn't doing anything with. And some of the cutouts were kind of interesting shapes. Um, and I don't have a photo of those except for the triangles. But anyways, I, I sort of decided to um, just play with shapes and see what, you know, I had this leftover aluminum, might as might well do something with it. So I started making star-shaped ones, um, ones that are kind of wing-shaped. And then I made uh, some triangles shaped ones and I can show you the triangle shaped ones um, so they're the triangles can you see them mm -hmm. yeah 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 um, and those have a nice bright bright sound to them very defined pitch um, yeah and there's um, yeah so it's been kind of fun to, to play with that um, and I've also played with the shape a little bit, um, of a round gong and I'm going to share my screen again. So there's a oval one. When I was playing with the, the stars, I would, um, the stars are like a four point star and they would be equal widths and height, 
mostly. But then I thought, well, why not mess around with it a little bit? Because what you're basically getting when you hit the middle of a the star shape, setting a wave pattern this way, uh, up and down and sideways. Um, and so I started playing with, with sort of having two tonal star shape ones. And I kind of like that. And then I was like, well, why not apply that to a gong, um, a round gong? So this is, was my experiment with that. Um, so I cut it um, with the idea that I would have a fifth, there'd be an interval of a fifth between the long part of the gong and the shorter side of the gong. Um, it did not turn out that way. <laughs> it was close. It, it actually sounds challenging. Up, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can. It's something I can play with more, but it ended up being about a fourth. And I was thinking that it would be sort of a um, a low pitch with an overtone. Um, actually, what it ended up being was a the higher pitch with an undertone. So the, the lower tone is actually sort of very much in the, the background where the, the higher pitch comes out clearer. Um, so it's, it's very subtle, um, but it's kind of cool. And I, I want to play with that some more, um, you know, because it's fun to play. <laughs> yeah, that's what it's all about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why don't we stay uh, with with metals? What else? Um, any of I'll, your? I'll go back to that um, first photo. Right. So the the chimes that are up to the upper right and upper left. Um, those are just aluminum pipe. They're pretty thick aluminum pipe. They're Schedule Forty. Um, and I've been making chimes for a long time. I know something I make for my playground instruments. Um, somehow or that, but usually I'm hanging them vertically, like a wind chime would. And these, so I could get them on a gong rack better, I decided to make them horizontal. Actually, it was Michelle Michener ordered the very first ones of these. She, she wanted something like that. And I was like, um, okay. And I made them, made her a set. And I was like, wow, the sustain is, is really, really nice on them. Um, and so one of the tricks about aluminum pipe, if you get low grade stuff, which I'm cheap, so I you know, get the low grade stuff. Um, is actually the, the pipe isn't uniform. Made the wall thickness of the pipe, if you look at the end of it, you can actually see that it's a little thinner in some places, a little thicker in places, which makes it a two-tone um, instrument. So if you say I have the pipe laid out on a frame, I hit it, I'll hit it in the middle and it'll make one tone. If I turn it like a quarter turn, then it can make another tone about maybe with a five cent difference or so. 
Um, if I turn it just the right position, you can actually get both tones. And there's it, again, it sets up a beat frequency. Um, and for some reason, if you're hitting it so you get that beat frequency, and I'm not sure why this is um, as far as the physics go, but it seems to, re to really help to sustain. Um, I can hit that lower bar and it'll ring just about forever. I mean, it, it just keeps going and going and going. And I'm using these outside in, in my um, gong baths and uh, the sound is, you know, loud and clear enough and whatever, it carries really nicely. Um, so yeah, so I'm really happy with those. And then um, I have two of them hanging there because, you know, I wanna, I have this thing about, I wanna sort of, I like bending the mind a little bit. And uh, <laughs> so, so I decided to make, you know, they have each one of those notes has a beat frequency within itself, but then I made another set that was slightly off tune to the other one to set up kind of like a double beat. And when they're going together, um, it's really pretty cool. It's pretty crazy. Um, so very cool. Remember when I went back to the water tank that I wanted to play mm -hmm. with? Um, this was one of my original ones. Um, I made this for my uh, nieces and nephew down in Massachusetts. As a, I, I, I use my family as a lot of experiments. Um, <laughs> so my brother and his kids ended up getting a lot of my <laughs> first instruments because, you know, someone had to try them out besides me. And uh, so they got a lot. Of, this was one of the original ones. And... I don't know if you can see in the picture, but there's a there's the top part of the whale, which is a tongue, but then there's um, solid metals part of the whale where it bends around, but then I've made also the tail into a tongue. And the tail didn't musically wasn't that great, but the the head of it was. Um, so I've this was one of my original ones and um, so that one has tongues on it too. I played with the different shapes. This one I changed the shape of a little bit. Um, this was another experiment. It didn't sound as good um, with the tongues going around the side because there wasn't as much tension in the tongues. The, the roundness of the top of the tank um, gives the tongue some resistance to bending. So it's a better tonal quality where, you know, this is more similar to playing like flat metal. Um, and then there's another old one of my other versions. And then here's sort of my current ones. Um, these are made from propane tanks. Um, you can see the where the fittings were on the top of the tank. And then the other, the plain side is the bottom of the tank. So I cut the tanks in half and then cut the tongues. Um, 
and these are really cool. Um, this was another, you know, like I said before, this was kind of another wow moment. Um, and I had a really wow moment with these. I was down at the Clearwater Revival Festival in New York, um, selling things that they had a craft area. I was selling things there. This guy came up and started playing one of these. It was just sitting on the ground. And he started just going nuts. I mean, he was like so happy. He was just, um, you know, just really enjoying it. I was like, wow, this is, you know, it's kind of nice. Ends up, he was deaf. Um, and because the sound is deep and solid and resonant enough, um, the sound actually carries into the ground and up through the, the body. Um, so cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was happy. And I'm actually, I want to, one of the things I have in my um, future is wanting to build some of these specifically for use for deaf people that really um, can carry the song. That's on my, my hopefully nearby agenda. <laughs> um, and then I'm not sure what I have after this. Yeah, so there's a large one built out of a thousand gallon tank. And this is my newer version. I started, I get my propane tanks from this one company um, where I get their old ones that aren't any good anymore. But um, I was starting to get a hard time, having a hard time getting them from them. Um, they had new owners bought the company and they weren't so free with their propane tanks anymore. So these um, I created, I can buy, when they manufacture propane tanks, there's one company that makes just the tops and there's another company that puts the tops onto the cylinder to make a full size tank. So what I do is I buy just the tops um, that are seconds, they can't use them for propane tanks. So they just sell them for junk basically. Um, so I get those and then I put them on a, one of those tall skinny propane tanks um, as the stem. So these are fungophones. Um, and they're cool, they, they sound similar to the whale drums. The sound doesn't carry into the ground as well. But they also, on top of, um, they're connected to the stem just by one bolt in the middle. And so they're, they're more of a combination of the tongue drum and the bell. If you just hit the side of it, then you get a bell, oh, bell okay. sound. Mm -hmm. So. Love that. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, that was a way for me to keep doing it. And then we move into um, so there's the and we move into the get up to the yellow submarine. Um, so normally this is normally I would cut off the ends of this tank to make the whale drums. Um, but I decided um, I wanted to, you know, get it a little bit deeper in and um, 
I'd experimented with making a whale drums that you could get underneath. They had a arch cutway cut into them and you could like crawl underneath them. And so somebody else could play it from the top and you'd be under there getting the vibes directly from the bottom. And that was okay, um, but I wanted more. <laughs> um, so this, you play from the inside. Um, the, you can see this one end is, you see the tongues on one end, both of the there's also tongues on the other end. Um, oh, okay. They, I have the, the ends tuned to set up a beat frequency. So one end is tuned, you know, in a normal pentatonic tuning, and the other end is a theta beat away from that. Um, but when you play one tongue, everything vibrates. Um, and so even if you're just playing one end, you have one person playing end, the other end is still going to be harmonizing with it. And sets up some really it's really it's when you're playing playing it from the outside it has one sound but when you're inside you're hearing everything and it's just rather mind-blowing um <laughs> it's really good for meditating i mean some people go in there and they'll play like fast they'll they'll um you know they'll play it like it was a drum set or something but right you know, but then it gets messy. But if you play slowly, um, it's just incredibly meditative, incredibly, um, yeah, very visceral. Um, it's kind of like, you know, if, when gong players ask me, you know, what it's like to be in there, I, the best description I come up with is like being inside a gong. Um, <laughs> right. Wow. Um, so it's pretty cool. Um, mm. And that must be what led to the the gong tunnel, literally inside. Yeah. Of, well, the gong yeah. tunnel is is basically this is a 500 gallon tank. Um, I sometimes get a thousand gallon tanks, you know, big hot dog cell tanks, and um, And when I cut the ends off to make the whale drums, I end up with this big cylinder. Um, so, you know, after piling up cylinders in my yard, <laughs> uh, thankfully I live back in the woods so I don't have any neighbors hollering at me for having all this junk in my yard. Um, you know, I kind of wondered, well, what it would be like to you know, set it up as sort of a, not quite enclosed, but a, a gong chamber. Um, so that's what I did. I have, this was my um, original one. It has, um, I don't have the gong set up on it all the time, whenever I set them up, but this is, a, this is my um, 38 inch, wind gong on this end and then I have a chow on the other end um, there's a chow that's a 40 inch chow um, that's it 
on the inside. I had a, uh, I had a um, sort of open house for my various instruments and whatever that I did. So this was this was a number of years ago, and that was from that. And these people, these couple, very much liked <laughs> being inside there. So what's cool about it is you can. Um, you don't have to play loudly, obviously. You wouldn't want to play loudly with people in there. Um, but it's, you know, all the subtleties are gone, just are just really come out clear in there. Like when you're standing right in front of your gong, you know, you're when you're playing a gong, right, you're getting one experience and the people that are over there are getting a slightly different experience because you're picking up so much more from it than they are. Well, in this, you sort of it's all there um, so it's it's yeah it's very cool um, and I don't think and that's the yeah, looking at it at the end um, and I built another one um, recently so this is something I built for myself I never you know, thought to make this as an instrument to sell to anybody. Uh, but there's a, you know, the photos of this are on my website. And um, this winter, I get a call from somebody and says, hey, I want a gong tunnel. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> Why? <laughs> and this is somebody that doesn't even play the gong. They've never touched a gong oh, wow. in their life. But they, they saw it and they um, were like, yeah, I think it looked just looked like something cool. Um, and so, you know, I was like, I wasn't sure how I was going to get it to them. They're there down in Baltimore right. on the main. Okay. Um, so anyway, so I, I, what I did is I used a slightly shorter tank it's a slightly this this tank is 42 inches diameter um and about i think it's about 18 feet long 18 to 19 feet long um there's i made shorter and so it's a it's also a little bit more roomy it's got a little more height to it and instead of having the gongs hang on the outside just on the outside of the tunnel I made slits in the tank itself to hang the gongs from. Um, and they, the slits go in about a foot and a half. So the gongs can be slid further into the tunnel and further out depending on the use. So it's actually, if the gongs are slid all the way in, one person can play both gongs on both ends. and do a sort of a self, um, you know, actuated thing, um, which I really like. I mean, that's, that's the, you know, one of the reasons I came up with the, um, the yellow submarine um, and some of my other instruments is that I really like the idea of people doing their own healing work through sound. I mean, I do 
sound therapy, you know, to give people into their sessions and through group sessions and gone bass and whatever. But, um, you know, there's something about people being in control of their own, their own thing. And the, the, um, you know, the new version of the gong tunnel that I made for these people, that's really good for that. Um, right. They the first time the, the couple got into it the first time it was set up and um, they didn't ever want to come out. I mean, they'd never played gongs before. I, I gave them a quick lesson on, you know, how to, how to play a gong. <laughs> and uh, yeah. yeah, they didn't want to come out. When people go they into the- um, for... What's that? They used it in a, you know, hopefully in a kind of a meditative way. I can imagine that you would just be in there for hours and lose time. Yeah, definitely. And so the other, you know, the instrument that's really good at sort of self meditation is the, um, the yellow submarine, because that's another instrument that some people get in and they don't quite, you know, it isn't their cup of tea, you know, but others will get in there and again, they could easily be in there for hours. Um, and I've, you know, had kids in there um my school that my kids used to go to wanted me to bring some instruments there so i brought it there um and these were preschool kids and some of them would go in and go nuts you know like you would expect but some of them actually were incredibly just into the quiet you know meditative part of it um, this is just another take on aluminum chimes. Um, these are, so I worked with a friend. Actually, one of the things that got me into to doing the sound therapy work is um, I had a friend who was sort of in the middle of a Kundalini emergence. Um, she had a lot of sort of energy uh, moving through her and it wasn't wasn't um, it wasn't coming clear it was it was there was a lot of messiness there it was it was a lot of it was being difficult um, and so I, I did some work with this person before I you know not really using much instrument wise but just doing some sound work with the voice and and maybe some small instruments. And, and then afterwards I was thinking, you know, of what I could do to, to help her, help people like her. Um, you know, sort of help move, move energy that needed to move. And after doing a little bit of research here and there and thinking about it and just sitting on it, um, this is what I came up with. And what this is, is it's a progression of fifths. Um, that biggest chime, those are three inch diameter aluminum pipe. Um, and that, 
longest one is about nine feet tall. Um, and the sound is, well, that one's pretty subtle. I mean, you, you almost feel it more than you, than you hear it. Uh, but it is, it is audible. Um, and, and then the next bar would be a fifth, fifth of the way up and so forth and so on. So it's a progression of this. And um, yeah, the idea was that the, to use the fifth as a way to move the energy, um, to use the, um, you know, people talk about, you know, if you have one tone you're, you're playing with somebody, and sometimes that can, you know, resonate with a certain part of your body or a certain mental attitude or a certain thing. Um, and, you know, sometimes it can wake up certain things in the body. And the idea of this was to both use the chimes to both wake things up, but also to move them. And I think that's what gongs do because they're so rich in sound. Um, at least, you know, the, the more, like the wind gongs and chow gongs, the more, the more uh, sonically active gongs. Um, so I wanted to do that with a little more control with the, with the chimes. Um, and I'm pretty happy with it. I don't use it a lot because it's a pretty specific um, use, but um, you know, the people that I have used it with are, seem to be very, there's my son's girlfriend trying it out. Um, Yeah, you can really get a, an idea of the size of it with, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's big. Fortunately, I have this, um, where it's set in this, in my house is, I have a sunken octagon-ish <laughs> floor. Uh, I don't have room to put it in my house. <laughs> so I have a, like a tent. You know, I do have a question about the materials since you, you know, make many instruments for outdoors and what, um, materials are best for uh, leaving them outdoors instruments yeah. so they won't get the good because yeah i mean i i coat it with a thin coating of oil um which hardens on really nice i mean it does wear off after a while but even after that's worn off i mean the aluminum really doesn't get hurt by the weather at all it may discolor slightly and be fine um, you know, the steel instruments like the whale drums, um, those I powder coat paint. So there's a, how that works is there's a sprayed on powder, um, that goes into an oven and gets baked on. And so that's a really hard, durable finish. And I don't do that myself. That's done in shop elsewhere. Um, and then, you know, the woods I use, um, I make the 
the original um, big xylophone I was making was out of spruce, which happens to be what we have in the Northeast for two by fours from the lumber store, but it's also very resonant. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, musical quality spruce is what's used in guitar tops um, and similar instruments uh, because of its resonance. So that's, uh, but you know, that doesn't hold up in the weather great. So I also make a mahogany version with mahogany keys. And that's, um, I use sustainably cut mahogany. Um, if there is such a thing, I mean, that's what I'm told. <laughs> um, so, and I, um, you know, I used to, when I first started using mahogany, I would actually um, take apart old Kubota um, pallets. They would ship from Japan, they would ship um, Kubota tractors and mahogany, because that's what they have there. And I would like, scrounge up those and <laughs> make it, but they, they stopped using mahogany for shipping those anymore. So I, that's non-scroungeable. Um, yeah, so, you know, any about anything can be made durable. I also make, you know, small instruments out of wrenches and bolts, you know, they're popular in children's museums and and- Yeah, uh, I remember seeing that, uh, I believe it was different size wrench uh, xylophone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. yeah. And those are the wrenches are already rusty because they're old wrenches, so those are fine. You know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, yeah. Just kind of uh, yeah. the last uh, questions is perhaps uh, you already mentioned a couple things you're you're wanting to to build that you have on the list. So maybe. You know, any interesting custom things coming in right now that you're doing, or uh, do you have kind of a wish list of, I really want to try making this? What's kind of coming into your awareness right now of what needs to be made? Yeah, so, so part of my, what's going on in my life right now is my business is doing really well. You know, doing mostly 90, 8% of it is the playground instruments and some of it's individual stuff. And it's taking too much of my time. Um, so what I'm in the process now is cutting back, trying to cut back on that, which is hard because people want stuff and it's like, it's hard to tell them to go away. <laughs> um, but, you know, because that's what I want to do. I want to get back to just creating. Um, new things. So there's the, you know, what I mentioned before is, is making instruments, particularly for deaf people's youth. Um, there's, and then the other thing is, you know, I like building things that mess with the mind a little bit. And, um, you know, trying new ideas along that. Um, I mean, there's a lot more I can do with the gongs. Um, I want to try to do more shaped 
things and more more effectual shape things. Um, you know, that, that's one of the beautiful things about the aluminum um, because these are fairly flat. The nipple gongs that I make are fairly flat. Um, unlike the, you know, this one, which has a big rim. So this one would, you know, you really couldn't, you have to make this round pretty much, right? But um, because the aluminum is prone to making them on a flatter side, then it's really easy to play with the shape. So there's a lot of playing I can do with there with getting multi-tonal gongs and that kind of thing. Um, you know, playing with different tunings. Um, that's another place to go. Um, and I've done some of that. I've made a um, copper piece with a Balinese tuning, which was pretty cool. But then I had to learn how to play it <laughs> because <laughs> it's a really, really different kind of thing. Um, yeah, and there's all kinds of tunings out there. I mean, there's um, that I haven't had time to play with. And that's something I'd like to go for. And, you know, and now that I'm more out there with my instruments with the, in the sound healing world, you know, I get people that call me up and say, hey, can you do this or something like this? Or what do you think of doing this? And that's, you know, that inspires me to um, dig in a little deeper. Uh, Michelle Michener has been good at pushing me. <laughs> she'll, she'll, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to have yeah. that, that balance of, of course, the demand that you're getting for, for things, but also keeping inspired in the work is when somebody kind of challenges you or, or pushes you to try something a little different. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So it's, it's nice. And um, yeah. And, and, you know, playing still with the designs that I already have you know there's more i can do with that um you know I, I, my favorite instrument probably is the, the yellow submarine and similar instruments to that so i'm definitely going to be doing more there um and yeah um you know i've thought about doing branching out into different gong material, but there are so many awesome gong makers out there right now <laughs> that it's like, it's already being done, you know? So it's like, so that doesn't inspire me because I wanna do stuff that people aren't doing. Um, and I don't, I don't get why, I think I'm the only aluminum gong maker out there. There's one guy who's making, um, plates he's making the rectangular plates um but it's a pretty easy material to work with and you know it doesn't take a lot of you don't have to like gear up with all kinds of tools and whatever um so you know i would encourage people to if you want to get into gong making that's a you know might be a nice place to start you know yeah, um, easy to work with. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. 
And one of the things I enjoy doing is, is I get a lot of calls with people that want to make their own instruments now, you know, I'm ha perfectly happy to help them, you know, because I think it's, the more people out there doing it, you know, the more creative stuff there's going to be. Um, yeah, that's the exciting thing, isn't it? That uh, there's so many different, different ways there's, and so the experimentation itself is such a great part of the, the learning process that um, there's a lot of beauty in things not being exactly the same every time. Oh yeah, 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 definitely. And so I, I've, um, I mean, you don't see my whole setup, but you can see I have a got a sonora gong here, um, where I didn't believe in mixing metals early on in my gonging days. I am very well mixed now. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah, yeah. it's great. It's great that so many people are doing things that are, you know, playing with, I, I you know, and um, yeah, and the incredible artisans that are out there, you know. Um, That's right. With, with everybody has their own unique style and that keeps shifting. I mean, even for you, you're, you keep trying to, to hone your craft and um, try different methods. And I think that's why you have the longevity is, it's it's still fun. It's still interesting. It's still yeah transforming you you too. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, definitely. And that's that's why. Yeah, and that's you know my push. You know, in my own life to get less out of my production mode and more into the creative mode. You know, um, you know the production has been good because it's really let me fine tune a lot of things. Um, you know, you make something over and over again. You, hopefully get better at it. <laughs> um, and so, but now it's, you know, it's time for me to open up time to expand on all that, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, great, thank you so much, Jim, for, for your time and, and for showing us kind of your evolution through these instruments. And I'm really excited to see where this all leads for you next as you're trying to to balance it all so thank you so much all right thank you it's been a pleasure Thank you for tuning into this episode of Sounds Heal podcast sponsored by the Ohm Shop and Spa and keep up to date with what's coming up next at soundshealstudio.com check things out on Facebook at Sounds Heal Studio, and you can listen to all previous podcasts as well as music meditations on the YouTube channel at Sounds Heal Studio. Be well and stay tuned. <laughs>